So this morning in this passage, there's all sorts of things happening. But the first place that we enter is through these guys following Jesus. And I was thinking about following some, and, and I was thinking how hard it is for us to follow. And I started thinking about hard following, and sorry, I started thinking of our dog, Bailey. <laughs> I don't know if some of you know her. She's this crazy lab. She's half lab, half boxer, and half lunatic. And I mean, it's, I know that's three halves, but you get the point. She's crazy. And it's funny, one day... Um, uh, we were in our family talking about birds, and Corbin was talking about sighting birds, and I said, look, there's a white-breasted knucklehead. And he didn't know what that was, and I said, well, it's our dog, because she has a white spot right here. So since then, she is, she's our knucklehead. But it's funny, because I think about when I walk with her, and I, I take her for walks, and, and when she follows me, she, if I have a leash, she does, she'll stay with me. But otherwise, she's off, going this way and that way, running that way, and then running into me, and then running off another direction. It reminds me sometimes of how I uh, follow Christ. I get things in my head, ideas, and I, and I get off on a track, and I go flying off, and then I come running back, and then I go flying off in another direction. And it's interesting to me, as I, maybe some of you can relate to this, this, how difficult it is at times for us to follow Jesus. The cool thing that I see in this story is, is these men following Christ. They're drawn to him. There's something about him. Some, he has this charisma, this effect on people. And, it's, and I tell you, he still has this effect on people. That's why we're here this morning. Because he still has this effect on us, of drawing us. Now John, was, John the Baptist was with these guys. These guys were actually, in the beginning, they were John's disciples. They were following him. And John, John says, look, there's the lamb. Now, if you remember from last week, this is actually uh, part of the same, or the very next day from where we left off last week. And John says, there's the Lamb. Well, last week he said, there's the Lamb of God. And we start thinking about this image of Lamb, and maybe some of you think about, with me, I think about Revelation 5, where it talks about the Lamb being in the throne, in the center of the throne. And angels, thousands upon thousands, 10,000 upon 10,000, gathered around, encircled around the throne and the living creatures and the, and the elders. And they begin to sing in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, strength and honor and glory and praise. But Jesus is this Lamb of God who not only took away the sin of the world, but also sits at the right hand of God. He sits in the center of the throne and all of heaven praises Him. So John says these things. He said, here's the Lamb. Here's the Lamb of God. And His disciples hear this and they begin following Jesus. Now, I mean, we're used to, we read this sort of stuff in Scripture and maybe it just goes in one ear and out the other, but this was a big deal. These were John's disciples. These were followers of John, people who'd come out to, to be a part of John's ministry. And if you think about this, this was a big deal for them to start following Jesus. I mean, John was sort of the, uh, he was the rising star for that moment. Now, it's true, he says, it's not me, there's one coming after me. John knew his place. But everybody else was curious. I mean, people were coming from all over, from Galilee, they're coming from Judea and Jerusalem to come and see this ministry that John had started of baptizing people across the Jordan. I mean, he had religious scouts coming to check him out, see what he was doing, what it was all about. Things are happening here, and yet the disciples hear him point to Jesus, and they hear him say, this is the Lamb of God, and they begin following Jesus. Now, we know that two followed Jesus. And this is just a little detail for you, that that. As you think about it, I mean, one of they mentioned it, it's, it's Andrew, who's the brother of, of Simon, or Peter, as we know him. But also, there's this other disciple that's unknown, that's not named. We don't hear about them. 
And as people read this, or as people through the centuries have looked at this text, they think it's probably John, the disciple John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the son of Zebedee, or the son of thunder, the writer of this gospel. So you've got probably John and Andrew who are following Jesus. The cool thing is they they go and they start telling people about him. So they spend the day with Jesus. And the next day, Andrew goes to find his brother Simon. And when he sees him coming, Jesus says, You are called Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas. You'll be called, which is translated to Peter or Petros. You'll be called Rock or Rocky. Because you are the rock on which I'll build my church. You are the stone, the foundation on which I will build this new church. And it occurs to me in this moment that as we watch this text, as we watch these things unfold, we're, not only are we seeing people follow Jesus faithfully, but we're seeing the birth of the church. We're seeing the birth of the church. The church that has gone and continued on for thousands of years now, over 2,000 years, has included people from every walk of life, billions of people all around the world, different tribes, languages, customs, all these people included into this church. This is an amazing moment. We're seeing the birth of the church. But the gospel doesn't stop there. It continues on. It continues on as Jesus goes and he looks for Philip. He says he wanted to go to to Galilee and to find him. And he says to Philip, he says, follow me. We don't hear the response of Philip, but we see his response. You can pretty much, well, guess that he followed Jesus because the next thing you know, he's going to find his brother or to go to find Nathanael and tell him we've found the Messiah. See, I wanted to pick up on this particular phrase here, follow me. Throughout this passage, I keep hearing this phrase, follow me. Come and be with me. Follow me. Now, many of you have been following Jesus for decades. 50, 60 years. Some of you have been following for a shorter time. Some of you are maybe here today wondering if I should follow him. You feel this call in your life. The thing is, he keeps calling you. You are here because you have been drawn. You are here because Christ has called you. But here's the thing. He keeps calling us. I know we think of God's calling on my life and we often think of maybe a point in history maybe a few years ago or a few decades ago. But here's the thing I want to remind each of us here is that God continues to call us. Jesus continues to call us daily. He continues to call us, follow me in the way you do your work today. Follow me in the ways that you interact with your family today. Follow me in the ways that you, uh, when things are difficult, when you're faced with things that are hard and, and you're unsure of what's happening, follow me. Follow me when things are really easy and you're tempted not to rely on me. Follow me then, too. Follow me when you're tempted. When you're tempted to do something different, follow me. Follow me when it, when it means a sacrifice. When it's going to be hard and you're going to have to give up something, follow me. Follow me when you're with your friend or your neighbor or your coworker, and there's this opportunity you feel it. Man, I should say something about faith right now. I should ask them this question about faith, or I should let them know how I view this as a Christian. I hear Jesus saying, follow me in that too. 
You don't have to have all the answers, and maybe you don't know them, but follow me in this. Be faithful. See, Jesus spoke to the disciples, and he said, follow me in this. He continues to call on people to draw them close to him. And he continues to speak to us daily, calling each of you to follow him. But following is not always easy. I mean, we know this. And so are the disciples. I mean, they are a lot like us. When they begin to follow him, they start asking questions. They too have questions for Jesus. It's not easy. They're just like us. They're human. I mean, the the disciples, Andrew and, and John probably, they asked Jesus, where are you staying? Where are you going, Jesus? Now, it's true they might have said, where are you going or where are you staying in the sense of where are you headed right now? So we kind of know where we're going. But I also wonder, I can't help but wonder if they mean, where are you staying? Where are you going with this ministry of yours? Where are we following you to? What are we getting ourselves into? And the thing is, we still wrestle with this question. Each of us, we still wonder these things. We begin following Jesus and we wonder, is it worth it? Jesus, where are you headed? Jesus, where are you headed with this situation in my life? The situation I'm facing with my family, where are you headed in this? Where are you leading me in this? Or maybe the situation at work. Jesus, where are you leading me in this? I, I'm not sure yet. With your health. Jesus, things are not right. I have doctor's appointments or surgeries. I have things that are going on. And Jesus, where are you leading me in this? I'm not sure. We continue to ask the same question. Jesus, is it still true that you work all things for the good of those who love you? Is that still true? We want God to continue to remind us of this. We need this. But we continue to follow by faith. So I think of this question that that Andrew and probably John asked Jesus about where are you staying? And I see our questions in that. But I also start thinking about the question that Nathaniel had. Philip tells him, we've found the Messiah. Joseph's boy, who comes from Nazareth. And Nathaniel asks, can anything good come from Nazareth? See, at the time, Nazareth was this tiny little town. Like, we know it because we know of Jesus from Nazareth. But ancient historians, nobody mentions Nazareth. Scholars have to guess where it was at. It's the nowhere city. It's the middle of nowhere. Jesus comes from nowhere. The king of kings doesn't come from Rome. He doesn't come from Alexandria of Egypt. He doesn't come from Athens of Greece. He comes from Nazareth. And so Nathaniel begins asking him, at first the disciples ask, where are you headed? Now they begin, now Nathaniel asks him, how are you doing this? Is this really how God is going to be working? Coming from Nazareth? It's surprising to him. It's not what people expected. God does the unexpected here. And Nathaniel has to ask, can anything good come from Nazareth? But I'm reminded of the things that Paul spoke to the church in Corinth. He said, the message of the gospel, the message of the gospel, it's it's crazy to the people. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God 
For as it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. God chose the the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that none may boast. Because it's in Him that we have been put in Christ. It is because of Him that we are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, righteousness, holiness, redemption. So as it is written, that no one may boast, let him who boasts, let him boast in God, what God has done, the surprising thing that God has done. So these disciples, they have questions. And we see again that they are people like us. They too have questions about, Jesus, what are you doing? Where are you leading us? And why are you doing it this way? It's completely unexpected. They remind us that it's okay to ask our questions too. That we too can ask these questions of God. The cool thing for me is how Jesus responds. It's amazing to see how he responds to this. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get upset with them for asking foolish questions or become harsh with them. He simply says, come, follow me. He says, come and see. Come and you will see for yourselves. Now I think of, again, of, of Andrew and John. As they came to Jesus and they said, where are you staying? Now this this word here, staying, it's this question that Jesus says, he replies to them. He doesn't give them this dissertation. He doesn't give them a lengthy explanation of where he's going and how to get there. He just says, come and see. Come, take this step of faith. Trust me. Come and see. Come and experience it. More than just having me tell you about it, come and experience it for yourself. But it's interesting here, we think this question that the disciples asked, it says in, in English, it's translated as, where are you staying? But it's actually in the Greek, it's this word meno, that is this kind of key word that goes throughout John's gospel. We often hear it as, where are you abiding? And we think about the text in John where Jesus talks about abiding. Abide in me and I in you. For as a branch, for if a branch, does not, a branch cannot produce fruit unless it abides in the vine, nor can you unless you abide in me that Jesus abides in the Father and we abide in him. So listen to this again. The disciples ask, where are you abiding? And at first we think about, well, they're asking, like, where is he staying physically? But we begin to understand that maybe this question, John is is starting to get us to see that, where is Jesus abiding? Abiding in the Father. Abiding in faithfulness. So we see that Jesus says, come and see where I'm abiding. Come and see where I'm connected. Where my faith, where my power, my identity comes from. It comes from abiding in the Father. So he responds to these guys in faithful ways. See, I think about too that, you know, for us to remember that faith is more compelling when it's experienced. You know, people ask you, you know, tell me about Christianity. What is Christianity? You know, we can give them theology and doctrines, or we can say, come with me. Come and see the way that I live. Come and see how it's different. 
Come and see how it's not necessarily easier, but how I live it differently. How I live life differently. Or maybe they ask about church. You know, what is church like? What do you guys do there? And you can explain to them what hymns are and the theological importance of communion and why we have a sermon. Or you can say, come and see. Come and experience it. Come and check it out. Or Jesus. People ask you, why, why, what's the big deal about Jesus? And we can try to explain to them the incarnation and, and, and God dwelled with us and the atonement and sacrifice and resurrection. Or we can say, come and see. Come with us. Come, in, come with me and see. Come, let's read the Gospel of John together. It reminds me of last year that we had this, this book, if you remember at Easter time, we're going to get it again. It's called the Jesus and the Great Story of God. It's this little pamphlet that the covenant puts out that helps us. It talks about people's experiences, their own experience with God, but also it's the first few, or few stories from the Gospel of John. So people can see Jesus. Not just know facts and figures about him, but actually experience him. To see the way that he loved people and the way that he worked, the way that he lived among us. Now I'm not saying that we don't need theology and we don't need to have good answers to questions. That's true. I mean, I believe in this. That's, I mean, I, I spend a lot of my time studying, trying to understand God, trying to understand Christ and salvation, trying to have answers for people, to help them with the questions that they have. But also, faith is more than just answers. It's more than just knowledge. Faith is more than just information. It is also about transformation. See, as covenanters, we have these, we affirm both. We affirm the importance of theology, of studying God, of understanding God. But as covenanters, we're also pietists. As pietists, we value a personal relationship with Jesus, a real relationship with him. Not just facts and figures in our head or knowing the right things to say at the right time, but actually a relationship with God. Spending time praying. And not just going through our laundry list of God, please do this, please help that. But I was just saying, Lord, I want to know you better. Reveal yourself to me. Show me again who you are in your scriptures. And then we go and we spend time in God's word. Not just burning through our passage for the day, but it's spending time chewing on it, reflecting on it. I know it takes time. I know we live in a busy world. But trust me, this is how we get to know Christ. This is how we get to know him. It's by praying and reading about him in his word. As covenanters, we affirm both of these. The importance of understanding, of learning, and knowing more about God, but also about a relationship with Him. Faith is ultimately about a relationship with God. So I love how Jesus responds to these guys. They have these questions, these real questions, and He responds, He says, come, come and see. Come and experience, come and see it for yourself. As important as all of this is, as good as it is for us to see Jesus and how he was with these guys, the, way, the questions they had and the response that he gives, the most important part of this text, the most important part of this whole situation is us realizing again who Jesus is. Now this morning we hear all sorts of uh, titles from him. I don't know if you caught them all. They talked about rabbi or teacher. John called him the Lamb of God. And I'm reminded again of Isaiah 53. He says, the Lamb of God who takes up the sin of the cosmos. That God took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. 
We considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we have been healed. I'm reminded that he is the Lamb of God. But also we hear these titles that he is the one who Moses wrote about through the law and the prophets. That he is the one who was told about. The one who was prophesied. That he is the Messiah. The anointed one. The Christ. The God's chosen one who would lead God's people. He is the Son of God. He is the King of Israel. Here are all these titles in this passage. These guys are throwing out ideas about Jesus left and right. But you know the one I'm most interested in? The one that I want us to focus on this morning is the title, the way that Jesus describes himself. Nathaniel says, you are amazing. You, you saw me under the fig tree. You are, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus says to him, you, but it's interesting here, he says, you all, speaking to his disciples who were around him, but also I believe to each of us, every person who's read that scripture since, to us as well. He says, you all will see greater things than these you'll see the heavens that are open. You'll see angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now this can be a little bit uh, complicated, or we can look at it like, what does he mean, angels ascending, descending, Son of Man? Well, Son of Man is this title that occurs throughout the Old Testament. Not a lot, but some. And sometimes it means just person. Just a a son of of a man or a person. Like in Psalm 8. But also, as we heard this morning in Daniel, it also has this particular sense. When Daniel saw this vision at night, as one before me like a son of man, who was coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was brought into his presence. And he was given authority and glory and sovereign power that all peoples, nations, and, and people of every language worshipped him. And his dominion was an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. A kingdom, like one that would not be destroyed. That Jesus takes on this identity of Son of Man. This one who would come, the one who sits at God's right hand, who would come in power. That one day, every nation, every person would praise him. That his kingdom, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. So are you seeing kind of the Son of Man, that title there? Understanding that some? in light of what Daniel spoke or what Daniel prophesied about. But he goes on to say that you will see the heavens open and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now maybe some of you remember the angels ascending and descending part. Sounds a lot like Jacob on his journey from from Beersheba to Haran. And he had this dream about a stairway between earth and heaven. And angels of God ascending and descending. When he woke up from that dream, he called that place Bethel, or home of God, house of God. Jesus is saying, I believe that Jesus is saying in this moment that he is the Son of Man and that he is that staircase. He is that new access to heaven. He is the one who joins heaven and earth. It's by what he's done through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, that he has made things right. He is the one who has reconciled us to God the Father. He is the bridge who has covered the gap. He's the one who has taken down the wall between us and God because of our sin, because of our brokenness. All the things that separated us from God are no more. No more are we separated from God because of what Jesus has done. We are reconciled. A chance for new life, 
A chance to ask God for forgiveness for our sin, for the things that we regret, the things that we're ashamed of. We have this opportunity now to come to God and ask for his forgiveness and to be reconciled with him, to have new life, not just life more full here, but life that goes on forever with him. Jesus says the heavens have been opened. This new way has been, has been granted to you by grace. I pray this morning that you hear God's Spirit speaking to you. I pray that as you hear about the disciples following Jesus, as they follow him and draw close to him, I pray that it encourages you to draw close to him, to go home this week and, and read God's word, to pray, Lord, help me to see you again. Help me to experience you again. For you to draw closer to God as well. And then to remember that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask God, where are you leading me? God, how are you leading me through this situation with my health or with my family or my marriage? But then keep following him. 